0: Hi there, I'm Keaton. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way that you can do that is by texting River Connect. That's one word to the number 97000. You can also head to our website, theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and upcoming events. Lastly, if you want to give to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or head to our website and click the Give tab. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We do continue in the Sermon on the Mount today. I um, just want to remind you of a couple of things. Last week we did the whole Beatitudes refresher, and if you'd like to see that, you can go online later today. It'll be online. Uh, last week's message will be online later. Well, actually, probably later today or tomorrow. Um, and today's will be online later tomorrow, later today or tomorrow as well. Um, but I just want to remind us of a few things in the Sermon on the Mount as we dig into Matthew chapter 6. <coughs> Jesus is telling us how to live as his follower. He's telling us how to continue to follow him you got to remember that the list that he gives, it's not an all-encompassing list. It's not like if you do all these things, that's all you have to do. The reality is is these encompass a lot of our lives, but it's also not meant to be a guilt trip. It's not meant to be a guilt trip. Jesus is telling us how to live our lives for him in this Sermon on the Mount. And there are things, and, and all of the things that happen here in a life, that changes in a life, happen because of, or as a result of the gospel living out in our lives and God changing us into the image of Jesus. All right. Well, as we begin today, I kind of already let the cat out of the bag. We're going to be talking about prayer over the next four weeks because it's important. But I want to ask you a question. Don't necessarily answer out loud, but I want you to think about it. How did you learn how to pray? How did you learn how to pray? Because it's not just something that, that happens. You actually learn. Was it from a family member Was it, you know, God is great, God is neat, Lord bless the food as we eat? I mean, is is that kind of praying that we, was that what we learned? Um, Was it from coming to church? Was it from being involved at church and learning how to pray that way? And only listening to a pastor that maybe prays eloquently and you're like, I can never pray like that, I don't know what to do, right? How about, was it from watching TV? And some televangelists jumping all over the stage and freaking out and going in the name of Jesus on people. And, you know, I mean, was that how you learned how to pray? I mean, how did you learn how to pray? I bet most of us haven't really thought about that question, about how we learned how to pray. But we have to learn what it means to pray. It's not something that comes naturally unless we're in a lot of trouble. Everybody knows how to pray when they're in a lot of trouble, right? Right? You've heard that it's said that there are no atheists in foxholes. Because when the majority of people are in trouble, the overwhelming majority of people are in trouble, they cry out to God naturally. That's when it becomes natural. We don't know what to say, but they cry out to God. But I want to get really honest today. Not that I don't do that every week, but I want to really, I kind of want to pull the band aid off here. All right? Are you ready? As soon as I mention the topic of prayer, I would venture to say for most people, our first feeling is shame or guilt. Because we don't do it enough. I haven't heard one person that would ever say, man, my prayer life rocks. I, I wish that was true, but I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. Okay, maybe a couple people. And they were like really, really, really big extroverts, you know. We feel like we don't pray as we should. We know we should pray, but that's just it. We should pray. Just by that statement, what does that sound like? Oh, I got to pray. Oh, it's boring. Oh my gosh, it's, it's like, I just got, you know, it just is, it is not the most fun thing. But why don't we want to pray? Why don't we look to God more than we do? I mean, it's easy to assume that all of us in the room pray. It's easy to assume that your leaders pray. But it can be very, very easy to rely on your own strength. In fact, the majority of us probably do most of the time. In most circumstances, we rely on our own strength. We don't ask God for strength. We don't ask God for wisdom. We don't ask God to intervene. We don't ask God to show us what to do. Choosing a career, choosing a spouse, choosing, you know, where we're going to live, how we're going to spend our money, all those things. Do we, most of us just kind of move forward and do it. Especially if you're talented. Because if you're talented, it's really easy to rely on your talents to make things happen. Some of us in the room can just make stuff happen because of how talented we are. Or because of how, I don't know, stubborn we are, I guess. That could be it, too. But most of the time, when I talk to people about prayer, they're secretly discouraged about it. Because we think everyone around us is praying more than we are. The reality is, with rare exceptions, they're not. We look to our leaders and believe that they have vibrant, active, and amazing prayer lives. And let me tell you something, we as leaders struggle with prayer too. We hear the prayer requests of people. There are so many hurting people, and too often those requests go unprayed for. We have good intentions, but you know where the road to good intentions leads. According to George George Barna, he's a Christian pollster. He does polls amongst a lot of churches and and, and also in in the secular world too, but he does it specifically in churches a lot. According to him, the majority of people that claim Jesus admit that their biweekly attendance at worship services is generally the only time they worship God. Biweekly means every other week. So twice a month is the only time that most people actually worship God. For an hour twice a month. Eight in ten feel that, uh, don't feel as though they've entered into the presence of God or experienced a connection with Him during a worship service. Man, I hope that wasn't the case this morning. Half of all believers feel as though, they don't, as, as though they've entered into the presence of God or experienced a connection with Him in the last year. Well, I want to ask you a question this morning. Are we here this morning to check the God box? Are we here to check the box and say, well, I went to church this month, or for the second time this month, I'm good. That's all I got to do. Or are we here to connect with people? That's not necessarily a bad motivator. But do you, or do you want a connection with the Most High God? Are you here to hear from Him? Are you here to hear from Him? Are you tired of feeling bored, inept, confused, frustrated, or weary in any sense with the idea of prayer and the connection and a connection with God? It's my prayer that over these next four weeks that we really learn what prayer and what worship prayer can be all about. Because, my friends, prayer is not supposed to be a dull and boring experience. And let me start off by saying... If the only time you pray, if the only time you pray, hear me on this. If the only time you pray is to present your complaint list to God, no wonder your prayer time is so boring. If all you're doing is, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Do this for that person, do this for that person. We're treating God like a spiritual genie at that point. No wonder your prayer life is boring. Because you're praying through a list of things that sometimes relate to you and sometimes don't. Don't hear me and say that we shouldn't be presenting our requests to God, because that's biblical. Of course we present our requests to God. But the Bible says something else about prayer. It says to pray without ceasing. Prayer is a continual conversation with the one that we say we love. And it can be vibrant. It can be deep. It can be loving, it can be exciting, it can be holy, it can be reverent, but we actually have to do it. I pray that you can learn that. Do I live at that level? Man, I wish I did. I don't. But I am so thankful I have moments with God that are just so sweet, and they mean so much to me. And my prayer is that that would be the case for you over these four weeks, that we'd really learn what prayer is all about. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue in the the, uh, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 5 to start. This is still a thing that I don't get over, man, because the majority of people, I know you bring your devices. I am so used to hearing this over the years. Here, this is what it's supposed to sound like sometimes. But when I don't hear it, I'm like, that silence is weird, you know? But yeah, everybody's holding up their phones. No, I know, I know you're getting your phone. I get it. It's just still a weird thing for me. Every once in a while, it's like, wow, hey, a paper Bible. I love it. No. And to be honest, I read from my screen too, and I, I like to say this every once in a while. I, I read my Bible a lot from my computer because that's how I prep my sermons and everything. But I like to have this in front of me on Sundays so that you know I'm reading from God's word. I want you to know that it's his words, not just on a screen. You know, that's just, that's my own little thing. That's why I do it. So don't, don't hear me say you shouldn't be reading on a device. I do the same thing. So, but um, anyway, don't want to get too off track here this morning. Matthew 6 verse 5 says this. And when you pray, we're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. We got to stop at those four words. And when you pray, what is Jesus assuming here? that we pray. So the first point we have to make today is we got to pray. We have to be praying. We got to take things to the Lord. I mean, he's, he starts off with, I mean, he's just assuming that people pray. Now we're going to, I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this here in a minute, but Jesus is talking to the Jewish people who prayed three times a day. Once in the morning, once around noontime, and once before they went to bed. They prayed at those specific times. And so Jesus knew that they were praying. But for us, we don't have that type of uh, regimen, I guess you could say. We pray when we need to pray. Now, maybe some of us have a regimen. I think that's important. We'll talk about that over the coming weeks, about how to actually practically do a, have a prayer time personally. But we've got to be praying. We need to recognize our need for the Lord. Jeremiah 20, or 33, 2-3. to I'm going to read it on the screen behind me. We're just going to jump right to that, guys. Jeremiah 33, verses 2-3 to says this. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Look at the promise that God is giving his people. He is saying, call out to me. He's telling you. He's asking you. Let's leave that verse up there if we could. Call out to me. thirty-three-three. Call to me and I will answer you. And what's he going to do? He's going to answer you. The reality is God answers us every time we call to him. In one of three ways. Yes, no, wait. A lot of times we get the wait, don't we? We, want, we, we live in a society of such, like, instant gratification. But God's timetable is so not my timetable. I say often, I wish we had the little red phone directly to God and say, God, I need an answer right now. But I will tell you this, in my lifetime, good times, bad times, rough times, awesome times, God has never been early. And he has never been late. He always is there at the right time. Not my time, but the right time. Sometimes it's frustrating. It's okay to be frustrated. I hope this doesn't like blow anybody's mind. It's okay to sometimes be frustrated with how God works. Because we're finite beings. It's not okay to be so frustrated that we're like, I don't care anymore. It's okay to go to God and say, man, God, I'm frustrated. What are we waiting for? What what do I have to do? What, 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 What am I waiting on? God, then we look at our attitude. And that's really what we're looking at through all of this this morning. I mean, God is using his personal name here. Yahweh is in this verse. It's his personal name. Not his formal name, his personal name. Saying, come to me. Ask me and I'm going to tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Man, you wonder what's next? Trust God. He'll tell you in his time. Again, not early, but not late. He's going to listen to you. The creator of the universe is inviting you to talk to you and he li- inviting you to talk to him, and he'll listen to you. I mean, if this was the first time that you've ever heard that, maybe you need to run out of here and go get on your knees right now. He wants to hear from you, because he loves you. He's a good father. Just because talking to him in, familiar, in familiarity doesn't mean it should be commonplace. We have such an opportunity to come to him. Some of you have heard this story, and, but I wanted to tell it again. Um, Jeannie's dad um, is 76 years old. But before the girls were born, before we moved here, um, we were in between churches in 2003. And um, Jeannie's dad was on a golf course. There was a, there was a circumstances where I was without a job at the time, and we were, we were in between churches. And Jeannie's dad was on a golf course, and he had a massive seizure on like the 8th, 17th, 16th hole at a golf course, so out in the middle of a course, so a good ways away from the clubhouse. He aspirated on the golf course. If you don't know what that means, he had thrown up and then breathed it back into his lungs. By the time they got him to the ambulance, he had died twice. And on the way to the hospital, I believe he, his heart stopped two more times. And we got a phone call at about 10 o'clock at night from her mom, from Jeannie's mom, saying the nurses are telling us, doctors are telling us, dad has 10% brain function, they don't expect him to last long, you have to come and say your goodbyes. I don't ever want to see my wife cry like that again. And so we drove eight hours from Yuba City, California to Boise, Idaho, driving about 90 miles an hour. I got flashed by a couple of cops going the other direction. There was nobody else on the road, but we were trying to get there as soon as we can. We prayed all night. We got there by 9 a.m., and when we got there, Dad had had opened his eyes. By 2 o'clock in the afternoon, they ended up taking him off the ventilator, and by 4 o'clock that evening, he was in a normal room, stepped down from ICU. The doctors didn't know how it happened. Dad didn't remember a thing that had happened. But when we described it to him, I'll never forget this scene. He lifted his hands to heaven and started praising God. Now, I don't know why God answered that prayer that way. But I want you to know something. God answers prayer. He answers prayer even when it isn't turning out the way you wish it would, too. God would have been just as good had Jeannie's dad not made it. Neither of my parents did. But God is good no matter what. And I could tell you other stories. I mean, oh, I really believe the real reason our younger daughter, Sydney, who played the keys this morning is here is because of the hand of God. We almost lost her. Jeannie almost miscarried. That's a whole other story. If you want to hear it sometime, I'd love to tell you. God answers prayer. But I also want to say something this morning for us, that as a church, whether here in Lake Orion or our other eight locations, we will not grow one bit until we are on our knees praying to God for his strength, provision, wisdom, and direction. If we are not actively praying that people would come to Christ in this place, we are missing the point, my friends. We have to be on our knees before God. We have to be praying for God, for, God's, for God to work. We will not go beyond the prayer covering of our church. And I was deeply convicted as I prepared this message this week. We're going to be starting some prayer teams at Lake Orion. We have to. And I apologize for how I haven't led in that way in the last couple of years. We have to be praying. Charles Spurgeon preached to his church over 100 years ago. The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So the prayer meeting is a graceometer. And from it, we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he not be there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. We've got to pray. There has to be a priority in prayer. We've already seen that God wants us to call out to him. In fact, he tells all us all over scripture to cry out to him, to call out to him, to pray. Prayer is our communication to God. It's not like we're praying to him and he realizes we need something. It's not like God went, whoa, we didn't know that one. All right, I guess I better get on that. Let me put it on my to-do list. That's not how God responds. The reason we call out to God is so that we recognize our desperate need for him. And, we're, a desperate, and we're, we're, de- we're desperate people that need to move his spirit. We're not informing God. We're submitting to him. We're submitting to his will, his power, his purpose, his plan. That's what prayer is. We submit to him through our prayer. It's a reminder for us that we are needy and he is worthy. We are needy and he is worthy. The thing about God is that in prayer, we realize that he is simply just worthy to be sought. He is worthy to be sought. But what's the first thing we do in our lives? What's the first thing we do as a church? We run to our parents, our spouse, our boss, our friends, our bank accounts, before we go to God. More than any other spiritual discipline, our prayer life just crawls off the table. How many of us thought we had it and then we lose it? I know I have. God is calling us to him. Jesus said in Mark eleven 17, I'll have it on the screen behind me, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. He's referring back to Isaiah fifty six seven, where the Bible says this: "These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called the house of prayer for all peoples." We are to be a house of prayer as the body of Christ. We should be making requests to God and asking Him to show His glory in and through us consistently. And how have we been doing in this? How have we been? In a, how have we been a house of prayer? My friends, our worship time, that's prayer. We're singing our praise to God. That can be prayer if our attitude's right. It doesn't matter what we discuss about singing or preaching or witness or any of these things if we are not found on our knees first. Jesus prayed. Man, he spent 40 days in prayer and fasting in the desert just before his ministry started. He habitually rose early to prayer. He slipped away to the remote places to seek the Father. He prayed all night before a major decision. He modeled prayer before the disciples and he prayed with them. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane for us. My friends, if Jesus prayed, why shouldn't we? If Jesus prayed, all the more should we be on our faces before God. E.M. Bounds, who is uh, one of the founding uh, men that, that founded Liberty University, he wrote this. Prayer cannot be retired as a secondary force in this world. To do so is to retire God from the movement. It is to make God secondary. The prayer ministry is an all-engaging force. It must be so to be a force at all. The estimate and place of prayer is the estimate and place of God. To give the prayer, to give prayer second, the secondary place is to make God secondary in life's affairs if we're not praying we've got god is not on the throne we pray because we depend on god and that's the priority of prayer prayer must be made a major priority in order for us to be followers of his it's been said that when i work i work but when i pray god works when i work i work but when i pray god works who do we want to work in situations so that's just the first four words of that verse. Let's move on. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, going on to the second part. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, we can go back to last week. Who are the hypocrites? Anybody Remember? the Pharisees and the scribes, that's right, the religious leaders of the Jewish nation at this time. They loved to be seen for how religious they were, and they prayed in front of people to be seen. There's more to this, however. Like I said just a little bit ago, the Jewish people would pray three times a day, once in the morning, once at noon, once at night. Same time, everyone's praying. But these religious leaders made sure that just about the time it was to pray, they were just happened to be at the right place so everybody would see them. And they would pray as loud as they could for everyone to hear their prayers. See, Jesus is talking here about the planned prayer. Not the prayer that we may offer up at times when we need a touch from God. And yet, this hits us right where we live. This is meant to be a little funny, but it's a little bit too true to be completely funny. The commentator mentioned about a book that he'd been given. It was called The guide to ecclesiastical birdwatching. If you don't know what ecclesiastical means, it means the study of the church. And basically, what it is, it took different types of birds and their and their um, and their actions and how they how they lived, and equated it to different denominations of the church. And so he decided to make take that and create a little satirical, you know. I don't know, story, whatever, about different ways of praying in the church. I thought I'd read a few of them for us this morning. And if this, if this hits you, please know we're not trying to step on toes. We're laughing a little bit, all right? There's pious Patty. When this person prays, everyone knows that they're serious and pious because they always play, well, they always say, Lord and God and Jesus. That's how they pray, all right? Then there's repetitious, repetitious Raleigh. Who can't quite take the impiety of silence, it can't take silence, so they have to say, Our Heavenly Father, or and Lord, between every sentence. And sometimes clauses by the time he's done is, are really fathered and lordified prayers. There's a lot of that in there. Then there's Focus Frederick. Focus Frederick. Focus Frederick, who somewhere got the idea that just, as in we just thank you, Lord, doesn't mean only, and it doesn't actually limit what you're trying to pray. Then there's this person, High Flute and Harold, sits up front, he knows he's really smart. He sometimes uses the word eschatological or soteriological and sometimes says our exegesis has grounded us in a biblicism and theology that makes you proud. All kinds of big words. Then there's informal Isabel and authentic Adam. They, They say whatever's on their minds and hearts, whether it's irreverent or not. Isabel once prayed, "Man, God, I am so freaking mad about poverty, God." And after Adam amend, her, he stepped stepped up and said, "I am with Isabel." Like, what the heck's only not the other word going on in Rwanda, right? There, but the defense is, I'm praying like David did. I'm getting, you know. Then there's. Preachers, too. We have habits, too. Summarizing Stefan, who sums up his sermons in the first two minutes of his post-sermon prayer. Preaching Peter, who doesn't make a good transition from his sermon to his closing prayer, and rams home one of his points by praying. And then there's Sendoff Sam, who's developed an Old Testament habit of loading up his prayer at the end. Some people load up front, but this pastor loads up at the end. And he says something like, In the glorious and majestic and everlasting and beautiful and ever-loving and glorious, he goes on so long sometimes, he repeats words, Names of our Name of our one and only Lord, Savior, your Son, and our Savior, the Lord Christ, Messiah, and God of our fathers, to whom be glory and majesty and honor forever and ever and ever, in the matchless, unconquerable, victorious, glorious name of Jesus, amen. We've all heard that kind of stuff, right? We all have different ways of praying. And next week, we're going to actually talk about some of our words. Because it's important, Jesus talks about the words that we utter over and over again. We're going to talk about how, how some of the words we use, because our words indicate what again? Our hearts and what we actually believe. Okay, so I don't want to make light of praying. Yet at some po- at some point, at the same point, we have to laugh at ourselves. We've learned to pray, and we've gotten into habits. We've gotten into ruts of praying specific ways, you know. But the reality is this: we have to be careful in how we pray. Jesus isn't teaching that we can't pray in public here but we had better be careful to check our motive behind why we're praying the way we do and why we desire to use big words. See, this is closely related to what he's talking about in the entire, the entire section of the sermon about our motives, checking our motives for why we're praying. When we pray out, li- out loud, do you pray differently out loud than you pray when you're alone? Because if you do, you better check your motive. You better check why you pray that way. Because it might be more to impress other people than it is to actually pray to God. <coughs> so how should we pray? Well, we pray as individuals and we pray as the body of Christ. We have to remember that Jesus is speaking to a people here that individualism was not a thing. It was all about the community. It was, it, it was an Eastern culture that was, very, was a lot more communal. So Jesus' example was to pray both publicly and to pray privately. Jesus here, when he says to go into your club, go into your room, he could have been praying about a room that you go into by yourself and have time with God. I think that's definitely an application. But there's another th- there's another idea here that is easily missed. I learned this when I was getting my master's degree at Liberty. I learned this from my professor, Dave Early. He talked about how the Jewish people would also talk about a room as the royal room of retreat where he talked with advisors. They went together and spoke together. Jesus could also be talking about a group of people going to the same room and going to God together publicly. And we're going to see later on in this passage that Jesus is speaking to a community, not just individuals, especially when we look at the Lord's Prayer. So how should we pray? Well, number one, we've got to pray with confidence. We have to have an attitude of confidence when we come to the Lord. You want to know why? Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive and find grace and find grace to help in time of need. My friends, we have to get to God, and we have an opportunity to get to God. That shouldn't be something that we have to do. My friends, we have audience with the most high Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, who has called you a friend, we have direct access because Jesus died on the cross, God tore the veil from top to bottom and gave us access to him. That is why we should want to pray. Amen. (laughs) And yet I say to my own I'm going to say shame. It's not shame before God, but I say to my own shame, how many times do I not go there? That I worry so much about everything before I actually find myself on my face before God. Oh, that I'd go sooner. Oh, that we'd go sooner. Because God wants us to come to him. We don't use prayer because we want others to see how religious we are. We go to prayer because we know how desperate we are. But I want you to see something here. Keep your hand in Matthew chapter five, and I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter four, or boop 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 over to uh, Revelation chapter four. That's great music, about what I'm about to say. But what I'm about to say. But I, I want us to hear this. This is the scene that every single one of us enter. When we go to God in prayer. This is it. Starting in verse 2. At once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven. With one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne there was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. That's kind of freaky. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and forever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That is the scene we enter when we come to the throne of God. And we have full access to that. Full access. Access. We are invited in. We have to know who we're praying to to, as well. Because sometimes we go to God and say, hey, big guy upstairs. I'm going to tell you this morning, my friends, he is not the big guy upstairs. He is holy. He is just. Can you be familiar with him? Yes, but we better know who we're praying to. Because when we speak to him like that, we ask like, he, we, we're gonna, we're, the next words out of our mouth are more about a spiritual genie than it is about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Sometimes we've got to sit for a little while and get focused upon God. We need to rest and get ready to talk to the King of Kings. Sometimes we need to be on our knees. Sometimes we need to be on our faces because we're so desperate. Sometimes we can jump around and praise God and lift our hands. But I want to encourage you in something else as we, th- as we think about worship and prayer being one and the same. And it goes to this motive. If you don't raise your hands in worship of God in private, don't you dare do it in public. Because your motive is probably to impress the people around you. I've told that to my worship teams that I've led over the 25 years that I've had. If you don't worship in private with your hands raised, don't do it on this stage. Because we don't want to be here to impress people. We want to be here to worship the King of Kings. Be careful that what you do in public isn't to impress other people. Jesus is saying that specifically. But I do want to encourage you in a couple of things this morning. First of all, if you're not praying today, I strongly encourage you to begin going to God in prayer. Because Jesus is saying not if we pray, but when we pray. And let me tell you, a prayer doesn't mean dear Lord and in Jesus' name, amen. It's not the words in between those two phrases necessarily. It's not like we got to go, dear Lord, hey God, I'm talking to you now. Just got to say the right two words to make sure I hit the right phone number to get up to heaven. It's kind of like doing 97,000 with River Connect. You know, i got to say, God Connect, 97,000. Here we go. It's not, you don't have to do that. God knows when you're talking to him. Just start talking to him. Yeah, and, and I said it facetiously earlier, but you know what? I've been around prisoners and people that just come to the Lord that, that the Spirit hasn't yet changed their hearts, and they're dropping F-bombs and praying to God, but that's all they know, and I believe God hears those prayers. Because it's God's, it's God's spirit that will change us. Just start praying. Declare your neediness. To, because understand your neediness, neediness before God. But if we're praying so that other people will think we're spiritual or, or if we're raising our hands because we want to be an example or whatever to other people, then our prayers don't go any further than the ceiling on those. Because our, our, our motive is wrong. We pray because we're desperate for God and we are able to do nothing in our communities. We're able to to accomplish anything apart from Christ. We've got to pray. We need God's spirit to move among us. Otherwise, nothing changes in us. I want you to hear something this morning. This is a big thing. We've got to understand this. Our prayerlessness is a declaration of independence from God. Our prayerlessness is a declaration of independence from God. If we're not praying, we're telling God we don't need him. Watchman Nee, got a couple quotes I want to read from him as I close, and one from my professor that, that I had in my master's program. Watchman Nee is a Chinese Christian who helped build the church of Jesus in China from like 1902 to about 1970. He had to pray. It's the only thing he could do. And he learned how to pray in the desperation of a China that is against God. He said a couple of things here, and I want us to hear him as we close. The ministry of the church does not consist merely of preaching the gospel, but also the church's ministry includes the bringing down to earth the will that is in heaven. But exactly how does the church bring this about? It is by praying on earth. There is no, this is no small, insignificant, non essential thing, as some tend to think. Prayer is a work. Prayer's work, most definitely. The ministry of the church is prayer, not the ordinary kind consisting of small prayers, but the kind which prepares the way of God. It is God who first declares to do a certain thing, but the church prepares the way for it with prayers so he may have a thoroughfare. The church should have big prayers, terrific and strong prayers. Let Let me tell you this too. If you're praying prayers that you can obtain, then you don't really need God, do you? Let's dream the dreams that God has for us because the only way that that'll happen is if God shows up. And I have two stories to tell you about praying big prayers. Dave Early shared this in one of his books. He said, and he shared it with us when we were down there. About once a year our church had a week of prayer and fasting. One year the week of prayer, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> one week the year one year the week of prayer and fasting led into a into a special bring a friend day at church. After praying about it for some time, I felt led to ask our church to pray for 50 adults to be saved the next Sunday on our friend Sunday. Many fasted and prayed for the unsaved and invited them to church. At that time, our church held three Sunday morning worship services. At the end of the first service, a couple of people made public professions of faith in Christ. At the end of the second service, nearly a dozen more received Christ. But we had prayed for 50, and over 30 more people would, be needed, would need to be saved in the third worship service for that prayer to be answered. The third service was packed and God was obviously working. I gave the invitation and all over the room, dozens of people gave their lives to Christ. After the service, one of our associate pastors walked up holding the stack of decision cards. He grabbed me and said, 50. 50 people saved today. Immediately, four men hurried up to me. Eagerly, they asked, how many? How many what? I teased. You know what? We spent the morning in in the prayer chapel asking God to save 50 people in our worship services today. I responded and quipped, you should have prayed for 51. And then a little bit more personal example, one last one about prayer. For those of you that are new to the River Church Lake Orion, um, we used to be Gingerville Community Church. Um, I've been on staff here at this location, either at Gingerville or the river. We'll be 20 years here in a couple weeks. Um, and uh, the reality is, is we've seen a lot over these 20 years. I became the senior pastor of Gingerville in 2014. And one of the things that I, that I felt we had to do was to pray. And, and of course, we ebb and flow. And, but I t- when I preached a lot in that first year, I said, you know, we have to ask God for things that when he finally does them, we, all we can say is, only God. Only God. And for those of you that are part of Gingerville, some of you have tears in your eyes right now because you know what I'm about to say. We went up and down, we tried all kinds of things, there was a lot, and we had to go through some really hard times. COVID just decimated us at Gingerville Community Church, and I had some friends at the river, and we had prayed, we were wondering, God, what do you want us to do? And I had some friends at the river that I had been talking to about the potential of becoming a location even before COVID, but when COVID hit us, it decimated us like it did most smaller churches. At one point, we were down to about 40 people, and we were like, God, what are we going to do? And God had laid this on my heart, and so I presented it to the elders. In about three months of meetings, we, we, we prayed over it. And in, Je- in uh, June of 2021, we voted to become part of the river. And what we see today, only God. Only God. We went from 30 to 40 people to now we average 120. And while it's not about numbers, what we see is lives being changed. What we see is people making connections. What we see is... God doing things here, uh, uh, a, a, an attitude, a desire for God that I don't know that I had seen in my 20 years here we've seen in the last year, year and a half. Only God can do that. It's not the River Church. It's not a decision that anybody had made in leadership. Only God can do that, and only God will continue to do that. And the only way that's going to happen, friends, the only way that has this is going to happen, Church of God, is if we find ourselves on our knees battling in prayer. It's not if we pray, it's when we pray. May this be called a house of prayer. May we be known as people of prayer. If somebody tells you about something they're struggling with, pray with them right then. Don't wait. Pray right then. Say, hey, can I pray with you? Because you'll forget. You have, see, we're very, uh, I don't know, we're forgetful people. We're feeble. We have great intentions, but we don't always do it. So work in some things to your life that are very practical. I don't want to preach next week's sermon, so we're going to stop there. May we be known as a house of prayer. And may we pray for things that when it happens, we could say, only God. May we be known for prayer and may we not declare our independence from God and our prayerlessness. May we, but may we declare our dependence upon God because he is worthy to be sought and because we are needy and he is holy. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for inviting us the way you do to pray. You don't have to do that. You don't have to invite us to come to your throne to have a place to be able to take our needs and our wants and our hurts and what we want to see you do and and be able to speak to you and worship you and love you and, and just all that prayer can be, God. I just pray that if there's some of us here today that have not been praying much, I pray that we would begin just crying out to you because you call us to. God, I pray for those that maybe have deep needs, I pray that they would take those needs to you first and foremost. That God, we would see you move in great and mighty ways. That we would become a house of prayer. And that God, because of our reliance upon you, we would see you do things that only you can do, Jesus. We pray that people would come to know you as Savior. We pray that people would come to grow as deeper followers of Christ in this place. But God, help us to know our reliance upon you and to pray Because we are so needy, God. And we praise you for your holiness. It's in his name we pray. Amen.